Claudine Abade McElwain is a self-described very bad driver. Her friends actually categorize her driving skills as the worst. So I don't know why I thought it was okay for me to drive a U-Haul from Washington, D.C. to Boston. By the last leg of the 10-hour drive, Claudine wasn't doing so great. She kept missing turns, and it didn't help that her boyfriend, Colin, with whom she was making the move, was being a total backseat driver. And he's like, you're supposed to turn here. I'm like, I did turn there. And, um, (laughs) you know, it's just, we're definitely, at this point, um, both at our... Like, you're breaking up. Like, you're almost breaking up. I'm like, you don't live with me here. You're going to go move somewhere else. Claudine eventually navigated the U-Haul onto Storo Drive, a two-mile-long parkway with what locals would probably call wicked low clearance. And I look up, and I'm like, there's a tunnel. And this wasn't great news because... The tunnel said it was the same height as a truck. Now, there's an entire subgenre of YouTube fail videos dedicated to rental trucks not fitting under tunnels. Spoiler alert, they don't end well. I mean, where the hell are you supposed to go, right? So right there in the middle of the very harrowing Storo Drive, surrounded by drivers that some people like to call mass holes, Claudine made an executive decision. I decide the smartest thing for me to do, regardless of like where the lines are in the road, is to go down the very center of this tunnel, because that will be the highest point. And my boyfriend's like, but you are going to be straddling too. And I'm like, shut up. That's what we're doing. (laughs) Claudine decided to take it slow. Like, really slow. I'm like, so freaked out that I'm not going to fit that I'm driving like five miles an hour. People are like honking and screaming and like leaning out the windows and Colin's like, just drive. And I'm like, shut up. Claudine hunched in fear around the steering wheel while Colin white knuckled the door. Somehow we, it does, like it just fits. And then we get over on the other side. Now, if you can get through a U-Haul move together, you can probably get through anything. Claudine and Colin stuck it out and got married and vowed never to move themselves ever again. Claudine is far from alone in her U-Haul-related family drama. Plenty of spouses and siblings and parents and children have buckled under the stress of a DIY move. Another family that suffered? U-Haul's founding family, the Shones. U-Haul is one of America's largest family-run businesses. It was founded by Leonard Samuel Schoen in 1945. He went by LS. As an enterprise, the multi-billion dollar company is an unequivocal success. You can't get on a highway in America today and not see a U-Haul truck or trailer. But while the business succeeded, the family did not. There were attempted therapy sessions, fistfights in the boardroom, and even accusations of murder. And the outcome was a family fractured into a thousand tiny pieces. I'm Lauren Ober, and from American Public Media and the Carlson School of Management at the University of Minnesota, this is Spectacular Failures, the show where we let failure into our lane on the highway, even though it's terrible at merging. Growing up in Oregon during the Great Depression, L.S. Schoen learned to hustle. The family didn't have much, so as a kid, L.S. worked on farms and helped his family with a variety of small businesses. So those were formative experiences uh, that caused my father to be a pretty determined, hardworking guy. 
That's Mike Schoen, the second of LS's 13 kids, and the only one of the Schoen siblings who responded to our queries. LS worked his way through college by running a chain of barber and beauty shops. Eventually, he enlisted in the Navy. But while in the Navy, LS contracted rheumatic fever, which wasn't so bad because it gave him a lot of time to scheme. At the time when uh, he was laying in bed, uh, recovering from rheumatic fever in the Navy why he was trying to figure out how to transport his wife and his belongings from Southern California back to his, what would be his home somewhere near Portland, Oregon. LS was hardly alone in trying to figure out how to pack up his life on the base and move back home. It was, you know, really a time of expansion within the United States. After the war, you had a lot of military coming home, and the jobs weren't necessarily where they had grown up. And, of course, the generation of the military had been used to moving. That's Amy Hillman. She's the dean of Arizona State University's business school and also a paid member of the Independent Governance Committee of America, U-Haul's parent company, FYI. And they really had no options to move their things. They either needed to rent a trailer and return it to the same place where they rented it, so California to Oregon and back, or they needed to hire professional movers, or they needed to fit what they could in their car. L.S. and his wife, Anna Mary, ended up choosing option three. They packed up their car and transported all their belongings from California to Oregon. But necessity being the mother of invention and all, the pair knew there had to be a better way. So here's what L.S. and Anna Mary came up with. You rent a trailer from their new company, U-Haul, drive it to your destination, and leave it at one of U-Haul's partner service stations that had agreed to provide storage of the trailers for a cut of the profit. Pretty simple, right? But what if your destination didn't have a partner location? At first they said, okay, if you're going to run a trailer and you're going to drop it off in a city that we don't have any representatives, try to find someone that looks reputable and leave the trailer with them and hand them this package that says, congratulations, you're a new U-Haul dealer. Hillman says one of the most remarkable parts of early U-Haul was that it was built on trust. Trust that the service station partners would be on the up and up. Trust that customers wouldn't steal the trailers or get them stuck in a tunnel somewhere or light them on fire. Trust that you can make this totally bonkers idea work. Eventually, LS's faith would be eroded. But in the beginning, trust seemed like it would work out just fine. All rental businesses are built on trust to some degree. But you can't rent people things if you don't have any things to rent. LS didn't have the capital to buy a bunch of trailers, so he borrowed a book from the library about welding and cobbled together some early U-Haul prototypes. Shout out to libraries. The DIY spirit of those early trailers was the first pillar of U-Haul. The second was family. A lot of the employees uh, were relatives. And they all came from this, uh, you know, honest, sort of a hardworking environment. And they were happy to be a part of something where they could see advancement and they could they could see progress rather than just working for a wage that's that's not going to ever change. From U-Haul's earliest days, it was a family business. Mike Schoen remembers being put to work at the early age of nine. Then I worked in a little fabrication place where we made trailers and I you know, I swept. I'd do little jobs, and I got a Coca-Cola at lunchtime. I remember that. Eventually, Mike and his brother Sam graduated to a proper wage, a dollar a day to do some entry-level punch card computing. Don't spend it all in one place, guys. 
As U-Haul grew, LS was on the road all the time. Uh, he started out doing this thing pretty much on his own by the seat of his pants. He would show up in these backwaters with a toothbrush and a smile and a change of underwear and talk people into deals. That's Alan Prendergast. He's a writer who profiled LS for the LA Times magazine. And I mean, he once bragged about eating at McDonald's like for three weeks in a row while he was on the road doing this. And that's where he liked to have early board meetings or whatever. But up, 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 up. I'm loving this meeting agenda. To say that L.S. was a workaholic would be a laughable understatement. U-Haul was like another child for him. Sometimes it was his favorite child, to the detriment of his actual real-life children. In talking to L.S., there were times when you wouldn't know if he was talking about his family or the business. Uh, To him, they were all part of the same thing, in a way. And, uh, you know, I think in some ways he was sort of oblivious to the family growing up around him because he was so tied up with his work. But in 1957, L.S. snapped out of his oblivion, at least momentarily. Anna Mary, who was an equal partner in the business and had already given birth to six children, died of a heart condition at the age of 34. All of a sudden, L.S. was a widower with six kids under the age of 13 and a growing company that needed his constant attention, his son Mike. He had formerly relied upon his first wife to, you know, make sure the the home family and all the kids were set up straight and everything was working good, but that didn't really work after she died. Anna Mary was the love of L.S.'s life, the woman he collaborated with and sought counsel from. And her death forever changed the family. But not just for reasons you might think. Anna Mary didn't have a will, and because she and L.S. were equal partners in U-Haul, her children automatically inherited her stock in the company. This was on top of the voting shares that L.S. had already gifted them when they were born. And if you do the math, that means in an instant, LS's motherless children together owned a greater share in the company than their father. And this, says Professor Amy Hillman, is very unusual. Most family businesses, the promise is you will own this when I am no longer here. But the ownership doesn't directly transfer to the kids so early in life. And I think, you know, had they had an estate plan, for for lack of, of a better word, where the family's shares would have all been held in a certain trust. That's what you see in a lot of companies now, even that are publicly controlled um, by family members, that they all have to agree in some way. And that just didn't happen because of Anna Mary dying so young and without a will. And as we told you in episode four, you gotta make a will, like right now. But I mean, like, after you finish listening. While LS's kids had a lot of U-Haul shares on paper, their father was still in charge of the business. But home was a different story. LS realized he couldn't handle six kids on his own and run a rapidly expanding U-Haul. So he remarried and moved the family from Washington State to Palm Springs. Mike Schoen remembers that almost from the start of his father's second marriage, life at home was rocky— L.S.'s new wife, Suzanne, was almost 20 years her husband's junior and had to raise six kids who were not hers. Mike says the couple fought all the time. You know, his relationship with his second wife was very tumultuous, and I did not want to be a part of that or near it. That turbulent second marriage, plus the fact that his work often came before his kids, gave L.S. a monster parental guilt complex, something he wrote about in letters to his kids later in life. 
As a result, reporter Alan Prendergast says he gave his kids a lot of leeway. And as the children got older, I think he started to reproach himself as he realized that, you know, he was not setting the limits that he probably should have, both for the family in terms of doing things outside of U-Haul, and also just in terms of finding time for himself to break away from U-Haul. Still, LS's corporate baby kept growing. By 1959, U-Haul had more than 42,000 trailers on the road in the U.S. and Canada, and they had just introduced rental trucks into their fleet. And they still made almost everything themselves, from box trucks to trailers to the hitches they were connected to. In just over a decade, the company became a leader in self-moving. And they did it without any traditional advertising. You know, they don't advertise. They advertise on the side of their trucks. So that in itself was genius that, you know, you'd be driving down the highway and see, you know, in the olden days, a trailer that said $2 a day and say, oh, okay. During this growth period, LS's second wife cranked out five kids in eight years. With that many kids, Mike says things kept getting tougher on the home front. He and his brother Sam got shipped to boarding school while the rest of the kids stayed at home. It's never easy to handle family drama, not for anyone. But the Schoen family drama was particularly dramatic. The kids weathered the death of a parent, a move to a new city, a new stepmom, and a packet of new siblings— Though I imagine it could have been a hell of a lot easier if they weren't working together side by side in the family business. Reporter Alan Prendergast says L.S. never considered that. He just really wanted to bring everyone together under the U-Haul banner. I think that he demonstrated over and over that he had this notion that, again, it's the big happy family notion that everybody is going to be involved in the company and everybody's going to to see each other all day long and then they're going to go home and have fun and they're going to have a party together or something. I don't know. Well, it was pretty clear. He he couldn't put the family back together again with his, in his marital situation. So he was trying to do it with the business. If nothing else, L.S. wanted to put his family on firm financial footing, the kind he never had growing up. There's no question uh, he was going to make things, you know, better for his kids, which also means easier, which isn't always better. Because when you end up giving voting shares of the company to 11 of your children and you haven't established any boundaries around those shares, and when you don't have a clear succession plan, you're asking for trouble. All those kids, they don't all get along. But every last one of them has a big money stake in the company. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, what Shakespeare can teach us about the U-Haul dynasty. But don't worry, it'll be like sexy Leo DiCaprio, Claire Danes-style Shakespeare. Not like boring 10th grade English. Just kidding, Mrs. Reeves, I loved your class. How sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. Away, away. All right, we're going. Relax. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Spectacular Failures. I'm Lauren Ober. 
Back in the late 1500s, this guy named William Shakespeare wrote a few plays. Hamlet, Macbeth, Taming of the Shrew, to name a few. Much Ado About Nothing is probably my favorite, mostly because the title is like basically my life every day. Anyway, one of the Bard's masterworks is King Lear. The King Lear saga is one of the most terrifying stories about family dynamics ever written. It's about a king who is approaching the age where uh, he's no longer fit to be king, so he decides to give away his kingdom to his daughters. That's Dr. Michael Whitmore. He's the director of the Folger Shakespeare Library in Washington, D.C., and I figured he might be able to shed a little light on family business succession, which is basically what King Lear is all about. Know that we have divided in three our kingdom, and it is our fast intent to shake all cares and business from our age, conferring them on younger strengths, while we unburdened crawl towards death. (laughs) Not quite sexy Leo, but it is a very frothy Sir John Gilgud playing Lear in a BBC radio production of the play. Lear's about to unload his kingdom, but the way he tries to go about doing this, oh man, bad idea, dude. And so this scene, which is called the division of the kingdom, is one where King Lear listens to his daughter say, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then based on what they say, he gives them a piece of land. Now, I could have told the king that this is a trashy way to divide up your wealth and power. There's just no way this can end well. And it doesn't. From Act 1, Scene 1, the family starts to crumble. And the reason why is because the king is trying to give away his power. And power is almost impossible to give away. This idea that power is almost impossible to give away, especially to your children, is central to both the story of King Lear and to the story of the U-Haul dynasty. L.S. Schoen, the company's founder, never required a loyalty test from his kids. No, I love you, I love you, I love you. But he always had in his mind that he would build up the company so that one day he could give it to them. Lori Union, executive director of the Institute for Family Entrepreneurship at Babson College, says that wanting to leave things to your kids is really cool and generous, but it can be tricky. When you have a large number of family members who are owners of the company, then it becomes much more complex. So it helps if you ask yourself some fundamental questions before you start raking in the big cash and slicing up pieces of the biz which family members can be involved in the business or how family members qualify to be involved in the business. Um, What are the roles of families as shareholders? What are the rights of family members who are not actively involved in managing the business versus the rights of family members who are involved in running the business? If you don't have those things in place, then you are inviting disaster. Like with the trailers, L.S. and Anna Mary just trusted that everything would work out. We don't know if the couple asked these sorts of fundamental questions when they created the company. But if they did, they didn't implement any sort of plan. And it showed. By the early 1970s, L.S.'s four oldest sons had worked for U-Haul in some type of professional capacity. Mike, by then a lawyer, had overhauled the company's legal department. His brother Sam, a trained physician, was L.S.'s right-hand man. And this was exactly what L.S. wanted, a successful business where his kids worked together— But, says Union, there can be some pitfalls to that. The members of the family have to have an agreement that they have a common goal that is more important than their individual egos. And if that is not the case, then 
you are really at risk of tearing the family apart. Combine family drama with the everyday stress of running a business and things can get dicey real quick, especially when there are unforeseen bumps in the road. For much of its history, U-Haul relied on service stations to house their fleet of trailers and trucks, about 14,000 locations at its peak. But in 1973, there was a gas crisis. There were embargoes and shortages, gas prices were insane, and lines at the pump were epic. It was a whole thing. In the wake of the crisis, almost half of the service stations U-Haul partnered with went out of business. Professor Amy Hillman says that this was really bad news for the company. When the gasoline crisis hit and they lost a lot of dealers, that's when LS really got desperate and started to worry that this business was going to ultimately fail. And I think made a classic mistake of thinking, we know how to rent just about anything. So that's when they started renting. I mean, you name it, they were renting it. Like mailboxes, cement mixers, and crutches. They also rented videos under the new business name Hollywood. Get it? H-A-U-L-Lywood. Hollywood. Amazing. At the time, U-Haul also tried to get into the van line moving business, but there was already a lot of competition. This diversification was disastrous for two reasons. One, they lost a ton of money chasing all these things that were not part of their core business. And two, because it amped up all that sibling animus brothers against brothers, uh, those that agreed with the way he was uh, taking the business and those that saw that their fleet was getting old and in need of repair and very worried that the diversification was going to take the business down. This feud about the direction of the company, plus the fact that LS had been gifting shares to his many kids over the years and basically trying to give away his Power King Lear style, created a leadership dilemma. Sam Schoen was the heir apparent to his father's U-Haul throne. L.S. had groomed him for the top spot for years. But Sam and Mike found themselves on the opposite side of their brothers, Joe and Mark, who opposed the direction the father was taking the company. It became a bitter stalemate. Remember, the Schoen siblings had been given shares of the company when they were born, and the oldest six kids had inherited their mother's shares when she died— So on paper, the Schoen siblings, especially the oldest ones, had a huge amount of wealth built up in the company. It was their birthright, and they all had thoughts on how best to protect it. Professor Lori Union says LS should have seen this coming. In the case where you have 12 siblings, and there's not a clear understanding of how should we act together as shareholders, that that right away is setting yourself up for... a a potentially disastrous situation. There are so many stories about the sibling strife at U-Haul during the 70s and 80s, allegations of harassment and violence and just general bad behavior from a few of LS's sons. Of the shown kids, there ended up being 13 in all, we were only able to talk to Mike, and he was pretty tight-lipped about that whole time. I'm curious about when, you know, for for the siblings and for the sort of family aspect of the business that it kind of started going south? That's a real good question. I'm probably not going to answer it, and I can tell you why. I We, we had a pretty hard-fought battle over the the, uh, the control of that corporation. lasted many years and, and took its toll. And as a part of that, uh, I was sued for libel on a case that was the second largest case I ever 
handled and tried. We went to trial, and that took a piece out of my hide. And I don't really want to do that again. Uh, my older brother Sam was similarly sued for libel several years later, and I assisted him in the defense of that case. Both of those cases we won. But uh, it's not something I'm, I'm looking forward to do uh, at this point in my life. I mean, who does want to get sued? Definitely not me. Reporter Alan Prendergast covered the family and remembers that they had some real challenges. I mean, that there, that the, the one family member would lose control and assault another. Yeah. There was a lot of incredible claims flying back and forth among the family about various kinds of skullduggery and litigation that went on and on and didn't, you know, in many cases the, it was unfounded, but it, you know, it was like, seemed like it was there to try to drain the other side's assets or something like that. I mean, this was this was going on for quite some time. There was a great deal of, of just toxic stuff going on between different family members here. L.S. Schoen kept desperately trying to put his family back together. He called in therapists, and he tried to make the warring brothers go to counseling sessions. But, as anyone in therapy will tell you, it ain't going to work if you don't go. And not all the brothers would participate. All of this bad blood came to a head when the final battle for control of the company began in 1986. At the time, L.S. owned just 2% of U-Haul. 11 of his 13 children each owned more of his company than he did, even though he was still the CEO and board chair. By this point, all of L.S.'s shareholding kids were old enough to vote their shares, and some of them wanted their father gone. So those siblings voted out board members loyal to L.S. and voted in folks who sided with them. It was like some hostile takeover by L.S.'s own children. After four decades, L.S. was out, and his third oldest son, Joe, became CEO. And you can only imagine the family drama of taking a stand against your father um, or holding up your father's view and, and how that must have divided the family. And then things got even worse. Multiple news outlets at the time reported that at a board meeting in 1989, a fistfight broke out between Sam and Mike Schoen on one side and their brothers Mark and Joe, U-Haul's new CEO, on the other. Mike didn't want to talk about this, but the incident landed him in the hospital with injuries to his neck and back. After the brawl, a visibly rattled L.S. was quoted as saying, I created a monster. Then, in 1990, the family endured a tragedy. Eva Bergshone, the wife of L.S.'s oldest son, Sam, was shot and killed in her Telluride, Colorado home. It was a mysterious crime because there was no obvious motive. The crime scene didn't point to any of the typical reasons a stranger would break into a woman's home and kill her. But the family situation had devolved so much that people immediately started speculating that it was a contract hit, which it was not. L.S. pointed the finger at his sons, Joe and Mark, the ones who had turned on him, and in doing so, turned the family even further inside out. Not only did we have this really strange murder case, but we also had this family that uh, was apparently, uh, you know, part of this long-standing feud over this big business. There was all this money, there was all this bad blood, and that certainly needed some investigation. After years of investigating the death, police closed Eva Schoen's case after a convicted rapist confessed killing her. But the damage from L.S.'s accusations about his son's involvement was hard to ignore. It cast a pall not just on the Schoen family, but on the company as well. 
So living in Phoenix even today, when you mention the company U-Haul, people will often give you a funny look and think there's something off about the company, but they can't remember why. Professor Amy Hillman says most people probably wouldn't have paid any attention to the infighting at U-Haul were it not for the homicide. That whole sordid situation really put a dent in the brand. In 2003, U-Haul's parent company, Americo, filed for bankruptcy after a number of accounting snafus. And in the past few decades, the company has found itself at the business end of a whole lot of personal injury lawsuits. People who rented their trucks and trailers claim that they got hurt because their rental was somehow defective. But U-Haul continues to zoom along as the nation's premier self-moving company. And in recent years, the company has made moves into the self-storage space— a logical extension of their self-moving brand. Obviously, providing places to put stuff as opposed to renting giant trucks to any dodo with a license, that's a much less risky venture for the company. Despite U-Haul's successes, the Schoen family is still splintered, albeit very wealthy. LS's fourth-born son, Mark, left the company a couple years ago and is now Arizona's richest man. His net worth? About $3.3 billion, with a B. As in, boy, that's a lot of money. Mike Schoen hasn't really had anything to do with U-Haul since 2005. That's when the last family lawsuit settled. Mike was in litigation against his brother Joe and the company on and off for almost 20 years. But he says he's moved on. The sibling thing didn't work out very good. I, I don't think that's any, any uh, secret. And I learned a lot through it, I'll tell you. But, you know, it's... It's, it's in the past, and I, today I work to, to be a person that, if I can, to bring more peace than discord in the world. Oh, I'd like to do that. L.S. Schoen really never got to see that play out. In 1999, at the age of 83, the U-Haul founder drove his car into a utility pole and died. His death was ruled a suicide. Out of humble beginnings, L.S. and Anna Mary's company became one of the most successful family-run businesses in the U.S. Remember that first pillar? The company's DIY spirit that says, yeah, you can rent this gigantic ass truck, and you definitely can drive all your stuff across the country to start a new chapter of your life, no problem. That's still going strong. But the second pillar, the family part, that one totally fell to pieces. Lori Union at Babson College says in any family business, it's critical to keep in mind just how important family is to the whole equation. The most important goal is the family relationships and the value the family has through those relationships. And the way to maintain that is not necessarily to have all the family members in the business, but rather to have all the family members be appreciated and valued for what they bring to whatever work that they've chosen to do. Anyone with family knows they can be tough. And entering into business with family adds a whole mess of challenges. I mean, I love my family, but there is not enough Xanax in the world to get me to go into business with them. I'm sorry, Mom and Dad. You all fundamentally changed the way Americans move. But L.S. Schoen was way less successful in managing all those family challenges. So the next time you're driving down the highway and you pass one of those distinctive white and orange U-Hauls, think a nice thought for the family driving that rig. Because we know that none of it, not moving, not family, none of it is easy.
Spectacular Failures is a production of American Public Media and the Carlson School of Management at the University of Minnesota. It's hosted and produced by me, Hilarious Calamity, Lauren Ober. Otherworldly treasure, Whitney Jones, is the show's producer. Our editor is the friend who always helps you move, Phyllis Fletcher. Our theme music is by the delightful David Shulman. Other original music in the show comes from the Jeremys, Jeremy Castillo, and Jeremy Ray. Lauren D. is the interim director of podcast at APM. Our other stellar APM buds include Alyssa Dudley, Tracy Mumford, and Christina Lopez. Big love to the Marketplace DC Bureau, especially Betsy Streisand. Shout out to Ronald J. Watkins, author of the book Birthright, Murder, Greed, and Power in the U-Haul Family Dynasty, even though he didn't respond to any of my emails. Apparently, he escaped to South America after a lengthy defamation battle with Joe and Mark Schoen. Yeesh. Also, super big thanks to Claudine Abade McElwain for recounting her stressful U-Haul story for us. Oh my gosh, my heart's beating fast right now. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to make you relive this trauma. It- <laughs> Every week, the Carlson School of Management at the University of Minnesota dishes up some fresh biz whiz. So you can feel super smart without the hassle of actually attending business school. Just kidding. You should go. Today's wisdom comes from Professor Vlad Griskavages, who has some advice for people and businesses alike. A lot of marketing persuasion revolves around touting all your strengths or all your best qualities. And what you'll find is that people often connect to your messes, not your successes. And by showing that vulnerability up front, People say, ah, they're self-aware, they get it. And then they allow you to put your best foot forward and it's much stronger and more effective afterwards. Hey friends, Lauren here. Did you know that Spectacular Failures has a newsletter? Get out. No, we do. Each week, we'll send out behind-the-scenes extras from episodes, weekly team recommendations for things we love, a sneak preview of upcoming episodes, and other fun stuff. You can sign up now at spectacularfailures.org slash newsletter.